Hey. Hello. Okay. What's up? Okay, don't open your Bibles yet. Don't open them. If you were going to, don't do it. Um, we're going to be in Romans 8, but not yet. I mean, we're gonna, I'm going to be there, but you shouldn't be there yet. Um, we're just going to jump right in. I have 50% of battery tonight, so we can go a while, so this will be good. Um, Brandon, would you put that verse up on the screen? Um, there we go. That's right. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to read 8, 1 to 3. 8 is really the best chapter of Romans. This is really the best chapter of Romans. Man, 1 to 7 is just like a drag. Wait, Josh Coe, shouldn't you be in Australia? You're just here? Okay, hey, nice to see you. Are you going back? You're done. You're right. It's good to see you. Okay. Okay. Romans 8 is great. It's been a drag up till now. 9 to 11 is going to be another real drag. 12 to 15 is going to be awesome. No, I'm kind of kidding, but I'm kind of not. But yeah, kind of kidding. Um, but 8 is great. Okay, so I kind of want to summarize this in my own words and uh, make it a little easier to grasp at the first. But I don't want you in your Bible because I want to ask you a question that the Bible would give you the answer to, but I don't want you to know the answer. I want to just see what naturally comes up, right? So um, let me find where we are here in this Bible. Um, I'm going to read. It's up there. Uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Okay, stop there. I'm just gonna read it. There's a lot of law, a lot of death, a lot of sin, spirit, Sin, sin, sin. Uh, listen this way, because he's using law in, in, in a couple different ways in this passage. So I'm just going to reread it in kind of, it, it, it'll only change it slightly. For there is therefore now co no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the rule, when I say the rule, I don't mean like here's a rule you should follow. I mean like the reign of or the rule of. Okay, let's use reign. That sounds good. A binding authority. For the reign of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the reign of sin and death. For God has done what Torah, what Mosaic law, weakened by the flesh couldn't do. He sent his own son. Okay. He's saying there's no condemnation now. This is a culmination of everything he's done for the last seven chapters. Finally, he's got this voice. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And he's talking about two condemnations here. There's no condemnation now from uh, this sort of condemnation that we were in um, under the reign of sin. 
where he, if you remember the end of seven, he keeps hitting this place at the end of seven where he's talking about the things that I want to do, I can't do. And even though I follow the law of God with my mind, I see in my members, I see in my body, there's something else working itself out. Right, something's going on that I really don't have quite control of here. Even though I agree with that, I want to follow God, I follow God with my mind, but I just, I, I can't quite do it. I see in my members, in my body, in my flesh, me following the reign of sin. And so there's condemnation here that we are condemned to play out the same cycle that the Israelites did in every human that came before us. We are condemned to the reign of sin. Right, we're condemned to the power of sin. So he's saying that condemnation isn't there anymore. He's also talking about the penalty for sin, the punishment, which is death. You're you're no longer condemned. So like a judge, very penal, um, a very um, uh, judicial phrase. You're not condemned. You're you're not guilty, and you're so there's there's this there's two kinds of condemnation. Saying you're not under anymore being a slave to the reign of sin and death, but also being under the punishment for having sinned, which is death, right? So there's no condemnation now. And so what he's saying here, the picture that, that I think is really easy to see here, um, it's as if in sin and in, under the reign of sin, we're at the bottom of this pit, and the law kind of stands at the top of the pit Saying like, hey, come on out. Um, You could just take this little path out and you're trying to climb out and you can't climb. It's like you at the bottom of a pit and a guy giving you helpful advice from the top on how to get out. And then when you kind of like make it a little way and you slip and fall, he's like, ooh, you fell. Wow. It's like not helpful. You know what I mean? Like you're at the bottom of a pit and you got this guy giving you great advice from the top of the pit on how to climb out of the pit. You can't quite climb out of the pit just because you're not able to do it. You are unable to do it. And so the law stands at the top saying, oh, come on out. Well, here's how you can do it. Here's a, there's a, there's a little uh, a vine coming up. Why don't you grab one of that vine? You go into the vine that breaks, and he says, oh, man, that vine broke. Maybe if you could just dig your fingers in real hard and then your toes and then just kind of just climb out that way, and you try that, and your fingernails break off. Ugh, this is getting gruesome. And he says, oh, well, that didn't work either. Right? So the, the, the law itself is just unable to get you out of this pit even though it's got some helpful advice along the way, and it's telling you where you fail at every step. It's, not, it's unable. So then what does it say there in three? For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. We well, sent his only son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He came down into the pit himself. He got into the dirt himself. He became a man himself. It's not the law at the top giving you some unhelpful advice it's the guy that climbs down in and throws you on his back and climbs out because he can do what we can't do so he comes and he condemns see how he uses the language you're going to see him use the same language over and over and over just cycle through it we were condemned by sin and now he's saying you're not condemned anymore and not only are you not condemned anymore but jesus by taking on sinful flesh condemns sin itself to death we're going to see that play out at the end of this Jesus, by doing what he did, he condemns sin itself to be done away with fully. That's how it culminates in 11. Okay, don't want to get in that too much. So we're in this pit. We can't get out. The law is saying, come on out, and you suck for not being able to get out. Jesus comes in, right? And so I'm going to read this, and I want you to fill in the blank after this. I'm going to read what we just did. I want you to fill in the blank. 
um, 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that blank. Don't go there. Don't no, no, go back. Oh, did y'all read it? No. No, some of you did. If you saw it, oh, Brandon, you giving away? I see you hiding behind the computer there. Yeah. Goodness. I told you. I told him. I did. Yeah, you giving him the thumbs down? Boo. Yeah, boo. In order that what? If you saw the answer, don't say anything. If you didn't see the answer, why did Jesus come down into the pit to drag us out of the pit? Why did he become a man? Why did he go through the whole Christmas story thing and be be birthed by a human? God being birthed by a woman. That's a crazy idea. But then God being crucified to a Roman cross, another crazy idea. Why did he go through all of that? In order that blank. Throw something at me. Come on now. Freedom. Okay. Okay. Our freedom. Throw, y'all keep throwing stuff at me. What's, what is it? If you know the answer, you better not be cheating either. In order that what? In order that we would be redeemed. All right. What does he, what does he want with us out of the pit? Why does he care that we're out of the pit? Holiness. I like holiness. Okay, reconciliation. And some theological words coming through. Here we go. Here we go. In order that what? Josh Sachs, what do you got? I know you've been thinking about it. Ooh, you're right. Okay, so what do you think? Life. We haven't thrown around that word a lot in Romans 5 to 8. Okay. Wait, was it? Saved. In order that we would be saved. Josh Coe, you've been in Australia. You have the answer. <laughs> Nothing? You saw it. Good, honest. Okay, let's just read it. Let's just read it. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. And then, as we walk by the Spirit, we do lead to life. And then when you're going to get into into verse 13, you're going to get to the adoption thing, the reconciliation thing. But you're seeing before that, in order that the righteous requirement of the law would be fulfilled in us. Right? This isn't normally the way we think, right? We've been saved for freedom. We've been saved even, I've probably beat it out of your heads enough that no one said it. We've been saved for heaven. We've been saved for not we've been saved so that we might really fulfill by walking by the spirit what the law always intended us to be able to do what humans were originally created for so what does that mean the righteous requirement of the law a lot of people argue about this and i could be wrong but i'm really i think i'm right if i didn't think i was right i wouldn't tell you righteous requirement of the law. what is when when they come up to jesus and they say what is the greatest of all the commandments they're trying to trap him a little bit because really there is no greatest commandment. But then Jesus answers him, and what does he say? Come on now, Jerry, what's he say? You got it? Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. It's the Shema. They call it, in Israel, they call it the Shema. They actually wear it in a box on their foreheads, tied to their foreheads. This phrase, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and strength. Is that right? Heart, mind, soul, strength? Yeah. And then the second is like it, he says. What is that? Yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, I believe it's in Matthew. Mark, you don't say this, but I think it's in Matthew. He says, on this hang all of the law and the prophets. Right. And what does he say in 1 John and 1 John 2? He says something similar. He says, brothers, I write to you a new commandment. Well, really, and then he says, really, it's not a new commandment. Really, it's an old commandment. And he says, if you have hate in your heart, then you're not walking in the light. And so he, he goes on to say that the new commandment that's really not a new commandment, but an old commandment is to love. To love the brothers is what he says. And then if you're familiar with Jeremiah 31, this famous pro, uh, prophecy. Israel's about to go into exile. The temple. Were y'all here this morning? Anybody here this morning? Yeah. We talk about the exile. This time when Babylon comes and just destroys the temple. The temple being the place where God lived. Where the Ark of the Covenant was. The Ark of the Covenant is from Indiana Jones. You remember the Ark of the Covenant, right? So in the Ark of the Covenant is like the Ten Commandments and the Staff of Aaron. Uh, the Staff of Moses. Um... I think there might even be manna in a jar there that just was preserved. Does that sound correct to anybody who knows things? Cheryl? Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's in there? Okay, I got two. Oh, yeah. But you weren't allowed to touch her or you would die because this is the presence of a holy God inside the Holy of Holies in the temple. Right? And they thought there is no way that God would ever let anything happen to the temple, much less Jerusalem. Well, yeah, yeah, right before it happens, right before Babylon comes in and decimates Jerusalem, takes everyone out, destroys the temple, steals these things from inside the temple. Right before that, uh, Jeremiah gets a prophecy. He says, I'm about to make a new covenant with my people, not like the old covenant, where I'm going to take my law, I'm going to write it on their hearts. I'm going to write it on their hearts. Ezekiel has a very similar one. So I think that's what's going on here. He's saying, you've been raised out of the place that you were under the reign of sin and death. And Jesus entered into that pit, threw you on his shoulder, and carried you out of that pit. So you might not be under the reign of sin and death anymore. In order that you might love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And the way you do that is what he says. Let's keep going. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And then he gets happy. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. 
if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. So, how do you walk by the spirit? Well, you set your mind on things of the spirit. It's pretty simple what he says. Well, what does that mean to set your mind on things of the spirit? It means you sit around all day and you think about God. That's it. You don't go to work. You don't go to school. You don't ride your bicycle. You don't drive your car. Sit around and think about God. That's not the answer. That's incorrect. Well, it's sort of not the answer. What does it mean to set your mind on the spirit? What does that mean? How do you set your mind on the spirit? I'm talking like daily life. How do I put into practice what Paul is saying here? Well, it's not rhetorical. Y'all can answer that. Does anyone have a good, or even maybe just an okay answer for that? Set your mind on the spirit. Don't sit on the flesh. Oh, Rachel, come on. Right, right, Paul says that. Pray without ceasing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, okay. Worship? Ooh, all day. I'm talking about Listen to Will Reagan all day. You two have decided on an answer. What have you come up with? It was. Will Ray. Okay. <laughs> okay. Daily committing to the Lord. Okay. Okay. Ooh. All right. The next thing in here is in initial submission. Yeah, that's what I have written. Okay. So let's just jump right in since Udi gave it away. Um <laughs> Yeah, I told her this beforehand. Okay. <laughs> so what does it look like to set the mind on the spirit and not the flesh? I kind of want to demystify this because I think we can sort of make this mystical. There's a degree where there's mystery in the way the spirit interacts with the physical. I think there's mystery here. I think we need to give room to mystery here. Uh, but I think it's not quite as mysterious as we maybe have thought it is. So let's just unpack it real quickly. Um, it is. It's initial submit. First, okay, so basically what he's saying is, if you've never submitted to Jesus, you don't have the spirit. Jesus never entered the pit and carried you out, even though he's standing at the top of it saying, hey, I'd like to come down there and get you. And you're kind of like, eh, it's nice down here. It's kind of nice down here, actually. And it might be a burden for you to carry me out or whatever stupid reason you've got to come up with. Maybe you have a good intellectual reason, but there is no walking by the spirit apart from initial submission to Jesus. There, there's none. Without initially submitting to Jesus. So, and not just believing that Jesus was a historical figure. That doesn't like quite cut it. So, believing that Jesus was a historical figure who died on a cross under the reign of Pontius Pilate. uh, Who was born of the Virgin Mary. Really, just believing that really doesn't cut. Really, like, that's that's what James says. The demons believe it and they shudder. It's submitting to him as Lord. Right? The gospel is the statement, Jesus is Lord. We started with that in the very first the very first uh, week of Romans, the gospel is Jesus is Lord. It's submission to Jesus as Lord. So there's no walking by the Spirit. Okay, but then let's say, let's just, let's just, I'm under the assumption because you came here and it's Thanksgiving weekend, all of you have done that. I'm just under that assumption. On a normal cross point, no, maybe half. But tonight, you guys really following Jesus, trying to follow Jesus, you've submitted to him. What does it look like day to day? Um, maybe I can put it this way. And this is kind of simple and this will break down if you press it too hard because you've got to get specifics about what it looks like to walk by the Spirit. This is kind of where discipleship comes in. But in a, in a big setting, I kind of want to go about it this way. 
Um, before submission, your default position is your mind is set on the flesh. Before Jesus, before you follow Jesus, before you submitted to Jesus, your default position is really the only thing you care about is the flesh. And what I mean by the flesh is, it, this is so broad. Um, getting ahead in life, getting, um, putting yourself up above other people, um, even being uh, nice and giving so that you can be seen as nice and giving, not really out of uh, altruism, but really out of like, oh, I can be seen as a good person if I do this and this and this because that's really cool right now is to like open up a nonprofit and do nonprofit sort of things. Um, a mindset on the flesh really has nothing to do with submission towards God. It's, it's internally focused. I want to go to college so I can make a lot of money. After I make a lot of money, I want to retire. And after I retire, I want to go vacation and drink expensive wine. Right? You can submit to Jesus and hopefully that might happen. But it might not. It might not. It might not. Because you're opening your hands and saying, Jesus, you get to lead. You get to lead it all. Okay, so mindset, your default position prior to submission to Jesus is a mindset on the flesh. That's all you're really concerned with. After Jesus, however, your default position is a mind set on the spirit. And the reason some of you might hear that and think, ah, maybe not, is because we are not really accustomed to intentionally practicing resisting the way we get hit by the flesh, if that makes sense. We have been accustomed to thinking fleshly patterns for most of our lives. Then we become a Christian, and really all we do is kind of, oh, I'm going to sit in the church, and I'm going to try to read my Bible, but half the time it's confusing, so I just kind of give up on that. And then when they preach about not reading your Bible, I kind of get guilty, and so I'll read it a little bit, and, and that really doesn't go so well. And so, like, we have never really been trained what it looks like to resist the way the flesh and the world and the demonic come against us. So when it says the reign of sin has been broken over your life, it doesn't mean that the presence of sin is gone. Only the power that it had to control and direct every thought and motive um, and intention of your life. But after you've submitted to Jesus, now your default is to walk by the Spirit. But on a daily basis, every time you watch TV, every time you go outside, every time you, you sit inside and just maybe have a thought, a lot of that is the flesh and the world and the demonic realm coming at you to knock you off of mindset on the spirit into mindset on the flesh. So you've experienced this when maybe you've had like an actual time where you came in here, you're really worshiping the Lord, you're really laying things down in front of him, you're really walking through things that you need to walk through, and then you step outside uh, or you go eat, and then a thought hits you. Man, there's that stupid girl who says stupid stuff, and she always gives me a dirty look. And she did this and this and this. So anger comes in, and then anger fuels a mode or a mindset or a way of thinking that is justifying self, that is building unforgiveness towards another person. Or you're in here, you're worshiping. Let's, let's give a different scenario. You're reading the Psalms in the morning, really experiencing the Lord, really sensing um, what's important and what's unimportant. You're resting in your identity of who you are. I'm a daughter of God. I'm a son of God. You walk out. You go to school. You're good for a little bit. You go in the bathroom. You look in the mirror. And you're like, man, 
I put on the freshman 15. <laughs> like, I, I don't like the way I look right now. And your mind starts going down a path of, I'm defined by the way that I look. I need to do something to change the way that I look or I'm never going to find a spouse. And if I don't find a spouse, my life is going to go down this path. And so you can look in the mirror. And a lot of you know this. You can look in the mirror and give yourself three and a half minutes and your mind is down some depressive road about what your future is going to be like and how you're not worthy or worth or something is going on in this negative, crazy, negative path. Yeah? Yeah? Okay, 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 that's true? Okay, 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 that's true. There are a million ways this scenario plays out where you get hit and your mind is set on the flesh. You're walking through campus and you're going to work out and you get into the gym and you find out that girls in college work out in their underwear. And you're like, what the heck is going on here? And so then your mind starts going down this road of lust. Your mind starts going down this road of watching longer than you should. And so maybe you left your dorm and you were feeling good, trusting the Lord. You're not really into ogling women, and you don't think that's a good thing to do but you get to the gym and you see things and your mind starts getting set on the flesh not on the spirit so you see I mean your default position really is set on the spirit what happens is we submit to the power or the binding authority of the flesh we submit to it it comes in to the mind and it's not rejected from the mind it's taken by the mind and we work out all these things that have to do with it. Does that make sense? Are you following me? Okay. So if you've submitted to Jesus, that you're, you're, the Spirit is there. You're filled by the Spirit. But what happens is that hit comes, and then that hit comes, and you never really come back to center. You never really submit. You never really deal with the anger of that girl. You never really deal with the insecurity of how you look. You never really deal with the lust, and then you keep going, and then maybe you go and look at a little porn, and then maybe you go check your computer again, and then maybe you feel a little guilty, and you wallow in your guilt for three days, and you don't really like feeling guilty. You need to feel good again, so you hit the porn again. And so I'm not saying, like, you come back real easy. A lot of us, we were there. This was like five months ago that I was, like, walking in the spirit, and now it's been five months later, and I've just been kind of hit, hit hit, 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 and I'm like way over here because we've never really been taught, okay, how do I come back to center? How do I deal with all this as it comes in? Because I hate to break it to you, church really ain't going to, a lot of times church ain't going to do the trick for you. It's, it's like going to church is, is a lot of times not going to really deal with all the stuff you got going on in your head. That's why a lot of you come to church and you're like, well, that was good, I learned something, but you're still dealing with the same thing you were when you came in. Anger, insecurity, guilt, shame. Even though you learn something new about the Bible. Okay, so how is it that we come back to sinner? How is it that we come back to sinner? Um, this is easy. This is quick. 
I'm going to use two analogies to kind of paint this because I want you to think about what goes on in your mind. Because look in here, walking by the Spirit means your mind is set on the Spirit. Your mind is playing the, is really the guiding factors. To walk by the Spirit is of a mind set on the Spirit and to walk by the flesh is of a mind set on the flesh. He trots that out really clearly. So I want to talk about your mind for a minute. Um, I don't know if you know this, but like when your grandparents were in school, they didn't give them a lot of paper. Uh, so they would wear chalkboards around their neck. You, ever, you know what I'm talking about? You ever seen this or heard of this? Yeah, yeah, they would wear a little chalkboard around their neck. You might ask your grandparents. This might not have been everywhere, but there's a lot of places. They wear a little chalkboard around their neck, and so like, and a little piece of chalk. And so when it's like time to do a math problem, they're like, and then they're like, I got it in there. Or if they needed to write something out, they're going to write it on their little chalkboard. That way they can erase it, because there was just paper floating around all the time. We just got a lot of paper now. But when your grandparents were in school, there wasn't all that. They weren't just making all this paper. They needed ways where you could, anyway, I don't need to trot out the history of, (laughs) you have paper. Okay. Let's just for a second, I I want you to consider this chalkboard thing. I want you to consider this chalkboard thing. Now consider all the things that are floating around in your mind for the last, let's just, just give it the last week. Major things that have affected your mood and your emotions. Your mood and your emotions. Major things that have come along and affected your mood or your emotions negatively. Now, let's think anxiety. So you're worried about a test coming up. Okay, that's a negative. And it really drove you into this place of like, and it affected your emotions. Okay, imagine that's written on your chalkboard. Okay, just imagine you got a little chalkboard and anxiety about this test, which is going to lead to my GPA, which is going to lead to my... Because it causes anxiety because you trot it out for like the next 47 years. Like you can put some meaning on this test that then like trots out for another 40 years. You know what I mean? Like, okay, so that's on your little chalkboard. And then that catty girl that you were mad at earlier, right? The anger. But that anger isn't just towards her because that spreads real quickly. When you're angry, you're not just angry at a person. You're kind of mad at everybody. And people do little stupid things that you're not mad at them for, but you're already mad, so might as well. Okay, so, so then anger is a little thing on your chalkboard. And then lust. And then the guilt that comes from lust. And then the anger that comes towards God because of the guilt that you can't get rid of because of the lust that you can't beat. Right? Is this on your chalkboard? What is the method for kind of erasing that chalkboard? What's the method? And it really is much more simple than you might imagine. But it takes a bit of practice in the day-to-day because we're not used to walking this way. We're not used to taking control of our mind. We're not used to really assessing what's going on in our mind. We're used to feeling emotions and either liking or not liking those emotions and then doing the things that produce those emotions or get rid of those emotions or most of the time not get rid of but suppress those emotions. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not a psychologist, but 99% of your emotions come from thoughts that you have. They don't just spring up out of nowhere. You have thoughts that produce emotions, and then those emotions produce more thoughts. And then you're kind of spinning out. How do you erase that? It really is, like I said, more simple than you might imagine. And this is something I want you to try. I want you to imagine, and let's just, we can start tonight, you can start in the morning, you can start whenever you want. Next time we sing a song, you can go through this. All those things on your chalkboard are really dealt with by everything mentioned in the Lord's Prayer. Anxiety, our Father who art in heaven. You're in heaven. You have all control over all things, and you are my Father. 
I have seen how this one thing I'm anxious about is going to mess up my future. Well, I want your kingdom to come and your will to be done, not my kingdom and not my will. And so I release control over what happens with this test tomorrow. I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to study. But I am not going to assume that what happens on a test tomorrow actually governs my future. I'm going to assume that my Father, who is in heaven, has control over my future. And so you can erase that off your little chalkboard for about 25 minutes. And then something's going to hit you again. But I promise you, the more quickly you deal with it as it comes on your chalkboard, the less likely it is to stay there. Okay, so anger. Our Father, let's say, uh, uh, even, even in the anxiety one, try it out. Our Father, how do we name your kingdom come? You'll be done. What's the next thing? Give us this day our daily bread. A lot of you are anxious about things that you think you need and things that you want that you think you need. This is very simple. Father, I want this, and yet I want your kingdom to come and your will, be to, your will to be done. I don't want my kingdom. I don't want my will. But I feel like I need this thing. I feel like this is something that's pretty essential. Okay, so I submit myself to your promise that you will give me my daily bread. And so I'm not going to manipulate to try to get this. I'm going to submit it to you. I'm going to submit it to you. Right, so I'm interacting with my father based on who he is, what he's promised. Give me this day my daily bread. Forgive me my trespasses. So guilt's written on there because of the lust you can't beat. We'll start with the guilt because it came second. Father, I believe that, I, I, that your blood covers the porn that I looked at this afternoon. I believe your blood covers that and washes me clean, that I stand before you as spotless as your son or your daughter, clean in your sight. And what you're going to find is that guilt will be erased as you believe the work of Jesus on your behalf. How do you get past the lust? Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Father, I believe that today I'm going to be hit with lust because it's been coming like every three days. And so there's little techniques that we deal with lust. And again, that's why I say discipleship plays a big role in this because there's little triggers that a lot of you have that triggers lust and a lot of you put yourself in really bad situations so that that lust is triggered and you're not really strong and taking a deep breath and believing that I have authority in Jesus' name over my flesh. As soon as you get the feeling, you kind of jump off into it because you don't know how to reject that and you don't understand in the authority that you have. And that kind of takes a one-on-one thing. But beginning with lead me not into temptation, I realize I'm vulnerable and so I'm not going to be stupid today. Anger. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If you're angry about something or somebody, it's probably best the next time you go to worship, you don't just sing the songs blindly. You tell your father that you forgive and you release the offense of that person, everything that they've done. And if you've got about 45 people, then just then do all four songs of that. Do all four songs of that. We, a lot of times, come to church and we don't internally engage, especially in worship. When the Lord wants to meet and heal and, and, and affect us, we kind of sing. Instead of, as I'm singing and something that I'm anxious about pops up and I suppress it. No, something you're anxious pops up, submit it over to him verbally. I mean, everybody's singing loud around you. You could probably yell it. Nobody's going to hear what it is. And you can, and it, it, so you see what I mean? So I'm, I've got my little chalkboard. 
and it's filled up with garbage. And the reason it's filled up with, and the Spirit doesn't move. The Spirit doesn't sort of write something on your chalkboard. Or if he does and it's full of all that garbage, you can't even see it because it's all filled up. But as you clean that off, what you're going to find is it's so much easier to walk by the Spirit because your mind is set on the Spirit in the day because your mind isn't defaulted in these other positions. You're going to come back. And then so when something comes across that chalkboard that's like anger or guilt or shame or whatever it is that triggers it, it's much easier to deal with that in the moment, reject it, and keep moving. And then it's also really cool to see that as you do that, you're going to see the Holy Spirit move and speak to you in specific ways that you need to receive. Direction, encouragement, somebody that he wants you to talk to. You're not so consumed with the way that you look. You might actually look around in your class and see that there are people there that just need a friend and they need someone to listen to them and they need someone to say, hey, is there anything I can pray for you about? I know this is weird, but I just feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to pray for you about something. That's really weird. That's really weird. But you'd be surprised how many people would receive that with joy because they feel like someone loves them and cares about them and wants to intercede to their God on their behalf. You'd be really surprised that as you deal with the stuff on your chalkboard, you're going to see the Holy Spirit throwing stuff up there. And you'll be surprised if you deal with it consistently how easy it is to see when something comes up that's not good. You can get rid of it a lot more quickly. The reason we don't deal with it quickly is because it's so full, so overwhelming. You look at it and you're like, what the heck? I don't want to look at this chalkboard anymore. So you suppress it. We've gone too far in the chalkboard. And the reason I feel comfortable saying your default position is by the Spirit after you submitted to Jesus is this. Verse 9 is really emphatic. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. That's what he's saying. Walk by the Spirit. Set your mind on the Spirit. Don't set your mind on the flesh. And he says, but, but you are those who walk by the Spirit. That's you. We just need to deal with the stuff that's going on of us and in us or else we're going to default into the flesh when we don't have to when the reign of sin is not over us the reign of the spirit of life is over us I'm going to close with this you can always judge what you're walking by and what your mind is set on by what's being produced For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is what? Life and peace. There's an experiential result to dealing with your chalkboard. When your little chalkboard's clean, it feels like life and it feels like peace. And it leads to life. It leads to life. It leads to fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law. Uh, and so I'm going to kind of close with this story. Lauren, I've got to tell a story about you real quick. You cool? Yeah, you got to. It's just the, what's been in the last like, six months of our lives. Um, so w- we have two kids under two, and it's been real crazy for a while. Um, it's been real crazy. And then I don't just do cross-point. I do adult groups and what we call discipleship integration. We're trying to integrate discipleship into the life of the church. There's a lot going on here as well. Um, Lauren lost someone that was real close to her, an aunt that was very close to her, uh, a week after our son was born, who we actually named after um, her aunt. Her aunt was Aunt Sammy, and we named him Samuel. It was a really emotional time, like a real emotional time. 
Um, and Laura found herself dealing with a lot of the anger that she had dealt with when we first got married. A lot of this anger was coming up again. Um, and I remember one night just getting sort of like real, real pissed at God. Like, I've been praying for the kids to sleep at night. I've been praying, like, I've been praying for these good things to happen. I've been praying for these good things to happen. Like, that the kids would sleep, that I would get rest, that this anger would get out of my mind. Like, where is God? He's not here. He doesn't love me. What the heck is going on? My relationship with my mom is exploding again. What the heck is going on? And so one thing that we noticed and one thing that she noticed was this. As she would go to turn things over to the Lord, she would really submit to God, not to his will, but to the good things that she wanted done. And then when God wouldn't do the good things that she wanted done, they're good things. Of course he should want them done. Then she was getting like pissed at God. So when Samuel wakes up three times in the night, the, the first time you're like, okay, it's a baby. The second time it's like, where the heck are you, God? This baby won't go to sleep. But when he's done that for six months and you're dealing with like depression from postpartum, you're dealing with grieving for your aunt, you sort of begin to spin in that. And so the thing that derails, the thing that really derails you actually cleaning your chalkboard in a way that actually would affect you is a real lack of submission. So even though you submitted to Jesus once, it doesn't mean that you submit to him every day. Because not releasing anger is unbelief in the gospel. The blood of Jesus is good for me, but it's not good for you. And the reason you don't want to give over anger because it feels like power, it feels like control, it feels like you owe me, I'm right, you're wrong. So even the things that we don't want to deal with, the things that we don't want to turn over is really a lack of submission to the Lord. The things that we don't want to say, Father, your will be done in this, even if you want my child to wake up four times in the middle of the night. The good things that I think you want, I, you should probably want to save my mom from going to hell. I feel like you, you would want that, and I've been praying for that, and it's not happening. And so now I'm mad at you about that. Okay, that's not your kingdom come, your will be done. That's, I got some really good things that I think you should want in your kingdom. How about you make that happen? So you need to really be wary of the things on your little chalkboard that you're not dealing with. A lot of times you're unable to deal with them because there's a place of unsubmission there. The place of anger you want to deal with is a place of guilt you want to deal with because you know I had to go further in dealing with the thing that's causing that guilt and you don't want to submit that to the Lord. You don't want to submit your future to the Lord. You don't want to submit the fact that you probably shouldn't be dating that girl or that guy to the Lord. Right? So unsubmission can really derail that whole process. Okay, I said chapter 8 was happy, and it will be next week. It will be next week. <laughs>